This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. Welcome to Product Coffee, a podcast where product professionals from Ibotta share stories, advice, and thoughts on all things product for a cup of coffee. Grab a cup of Joe and join us to level up your product career 30 minutes at a time. I'm one of your co-hosts, Patrick Kuchkowski. Kevin Gentry. Cole Dryden. And Jake Worland. Lou Cirillo. And today's topic of conversation is building omni-channel experiences. How do we keep things aligned? I know we have Cole in today. Cole is one of our senior designers. So it's great to have him because he's actually been helping build our omni-channel experience. So I figured I would kind of kick it over to Cole first to get a, a different take on, in your words, what is an omni-channel experience and what do you do to go about building it? Well, um, an omni-channel experience is you know, a series or a suite of products um, that you build um, across some different modalities um, so that your users can have a consistent experience across their preferred platform of choice, be it mobile or web or um, an app or browser extension, you name it. Um, and my background is design, and so I, I approach this with a different set of problems, which is trying to stay aligned with other designers working on their problem spaces. And how do you effectively communicate with each other? How do you um, you know, play whack-a-mole with the different stages of product design. So when one is currently being spun up, another might be, you know, midstream, uh, more mature. And so really, how do you just keep it all together, I guess, is the question. Very project manager you thought. Um, <laughs> get a project manager. <laughs> That's the only way to do it. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah, I think... Uh, in my opinion there, I think, you know, over communications key. Um, we touched on this kind of offline, but, um, and it's tough nowadays, um, not being in the same room with everyone, but how can you build those lines of communication that aren't necessarily just a meeting that can, um, build that, uh, consistency or that cadence of regular communication where folks can stay aligned and rely on things. Um, you know, we do this as product managers through stakeholder email updates that we do, you know, pretty strictly on a two week basis now, um, which our stakeholders can expect. And so now they know when we're sending out emails, they know how to respond. Um, they know, you know, where to look for, for certain things. Um, it's not perfect. It's taken a while to get there, but, um, I think it's in the right direction of that, like a regular cadence of communication, and knowing where to go to um, when they have questions. Um, that, that's I think fun. that's super important. Yeah, I think that's super important to build those habits, those communication lane habits, so people know or have an expectation of where they can find certain pieces of information. So I think with an omni-channel experience, it's you, you have all these disparate teams, but they're all working on different things, and they're often 
not related to each other in a lot of ways, just kind of tangentially. Um, so how do you centralize information with the intent of empowering those people to make decisions in isolation, but still making those decisions within the broader context and vision of a, of a product vision? Yeah, I think ultimately the key is understanding kind of at least for all those people that are going to have constituent components that roll up to an omnichannel experience, what a desired outcome is, because that way you can go independently focus on something and then try and align your timelines more than anything. If you're totally misaligned on what the final outcome is going to be, it's not going to matter. Uh, it, and humorously enough, right now we're, we're very much in that situation at Ibotta where we're building a much more robust web experience. Lou, you're building the browser extension. I'm busy on onboarding and in the app, and we're now at a spot where we're like, okay, how do we start tying one experience together? What does that look like? Well, this is where I think table stakes for most users may be, I fully expect to be able to stay on the web and then jump into the app and it's gonna work seamlessly and they go to the browser extension. If we align on that experience and what is essentially saying like, hey, the web will do this, but it's not gonna do this. So app needs to support this. Then you're at least like, okay, I can go build this onboarding experience that says, hey, have you downloaded the browser extension? If not, go check it out. But if we don't have that base table stakes, it's hard to at least go that direction. That, that's an interesting point, because I think we come to a point where these platforms, once they're stood up, are platforms. And then we should kind of focus on those experiences. Like you mentioned onboarding. Patrick, you're not working on standing up the app. You're working on a specific experience for our customer that's consistent across these channels, right? So it's like once we stand up these platforms, now these are places we can play within. So then we, how do we kind of make that shift to this is a product that we're standing up and we're proving out. Once it's proven out, all right, now how do we kind of scale this tenfold by allowing you know, this, this kind of cross-platform adoption of these spaces and experiences? It's like we've added a bunch more columns to the grid, right? Like, all right, now we've got web, now we've got a browser extension, now we've got mobile, now we're talking about different products on the mobile platform, and then all these experiences that cut across all of those things. And how do we do it? How do we do it in a way that builds consistency, but also takes into account the uniqueness of each of those platforms? And I think that's the biggest challenge. I'd love to hear from anyone else here how they've been able to think through that. Well, it's kind of interesting. So in, in this current context for Ibotta, in just like what I'll call the platform development world of the omni-channel experience, both web and browser extension kind of fit inside of the, the group that we already had, right? So I think Cole uh, can kind of talk about how Cole worked on two of what I'd call three, two of the three platforms that we were adjusting um, in this context, right? And the third one was probably where we had the most contention. And that was kind of in the changes that we'd be making to our mobile experience because that was an existing platform, whereas the other two were fundamentally net new, right? So one of the things that we had as an advantage going into the extension and the web design is that we had existing behavioral patterns that we could reference from our mobile app, right? There was a set of things people wanted to do. And the concept from a product level that we tried to take was if a saver stopped their experience in one location and wanted to pick up in another, could they? 
And that was the thing that really kind of leveraged us. And we looked at it as, well, web and browser extension are kind of one paired platform. There's things that each platform does better. You can browse more products on web. So why does that functionality need to exist in the extension? But you need a way to get there from the extension that makes sense. And I'm sure Cole can add some color here on terms of how we did that for the desktop experience, but then also how we're trying to think about how we compare them for the mobile to desktop experience. Yeah, and one of the one of the main challenges is how do you how do you preserve functionality across all these platforms without having a bunch of redundancies and, and duplicating a lot of the, the work? And how do you look at, at saver, you know, behaviors and patterns? How are they using the app on mobile versus desktop versus a browser extension? They're totally separate environments. You have people who are now at home so much more often and you know their their browser usage is skyrocketed skyrocketed. And so they're they're on the web a lot more, um, and really it's just a matter of of a lot of user research, a lot of um, just looking at patterns, how people are using things, what people are asking for, and just kind of meeting them where they are. I think is the challenge. Well, I think from the the design perspective, the challenge that you have too is people have come to associate very specific things with specific functionality. Uh, so I'm, I'm struggling for the right word here, but it's basically, if you think of like shapes and stuff like that, where it's like, hey, if I expect this behavior on the app, I have to mirror it over into the web. And so I think the challenge oftentimes for omnichannel experiences or for teams that are trying to build that is if you have one team that's building something but has even just the memetics of like, hey, this thing looks slightly different and feels a little bit different and then does something different that the other team that may be building something on an app or in a different channel, that breaks down the user perspective of what's happening. So it's like, how do you keep, I mean, it maybe it's just over communicating amongst designers, but I feel like that is the real core of feeling like you're in multiple places at once. Well, and, and it's, it's kind of interesting too, because sometimes you arrive at a solution without even really talking about it when everybody is kind of working on a similar thing, you sort of develop this hive mind of how do you tackle this problem? Well, this is how they sort of solved it on browser extension. Well, maybe this works on mobile and sometimes it does or vice versa. So it's interesting once you're, once you're in the groove, how you arrive at problems just kind of without thinking about it. I'd say it's also worth calling out that at Ibotta, we have the, our Pando library system, which is kind of our, all of our UX components that are shared across all of our platforms. And that kind of keeps, it, it does a very good job of standardizing the color patterns, the buttons, the way things interact. Um, not only does it speed up our developers, but the other good thing is that that kind of, I feel like solves 75% of the nuance work, right? Because you're not now debating over what color should something change to and having disparate experiences and all of the minor details that people come to know and love. I feel like that's it. That's one of the good starting things that we've done here at Ibotta to help preserve that. Yeah, yeah I definitely one agree. Of the, one of the best ways to derail a design process is to remove those constraints. Because when people have free reign to just go and design things off the cuff, you can end up with just so many disparate experiences. It's, it's important. In addition, 
Yeah, in addition to that design system, I think technologically, the you know breaking breaking up our monolithic app um, architecture into microservices that can communicate omnichannel, I think, is a step in that right direction too. Because then you'll have consistency across functionality uh, backend wise, right? So if you have a saver um, doing some action, um, trying to redeem an offer, add an offer to a list like Lou mentioned before that you can cross over those experiences because they're using the same backend functionality as opposed to, you know, having a monolithic architecture for each of these platforms and trying to mimic things. Right. You know, and that kind of brings up an interesting point. So in, in this thing, one of the early challenges that we had, and Jake could probably shed some more light on this was as we were experimenting with how we wanted to build online grocery, um, we first started by utilizing a technology that applied specifically to mobile. And one of the first ways we got thought, we started thinking about this omni-channel experience is we realized, hey, wait a minute, um, going in from the browser extension or web and then telling somebody to pull out their mobile phone in order to link an account is some pretty bad UX. How can we make that experience shared? And that was one of the first things, even from a backend level that we started thinking about. Yeah, I think it's that's exactly right. I mean, we, we've been a mobile-first company for so long that that was what we reached to first. And then there are, of course, other factors, too, that went into that decision. But I think, ultimately, the, the UX won out in shifting our thinking on how we want to present a product experience to, to users. Um, and it was just a, a kind of a shift in thinking as well. So we, we can't just think in a mobile context we need to think in three contexts on the web, on the, on a browser extension and from a mobile app. So that's, I think for, for a team that's been so focused on a mobile experience for so long, it's, it's an interesting shift to go through and it really expands how you have to think about things. Um, so yeah, I don't know, I don't know how I'll have a whole lot more to add other than that. <laughs> well, and it's, it's fascinating to bring that up because all the other companies I've worked for, it's been, taking a website or web experience and moving it to mobile or moving it to an extension. And so I think we actually have a weird jump start here in the fact that generally building experiences that can actually delight a user on an app is much harder because you have less real estate, you're super constrained. So then taking it to the web, you can actually, I mean, you think just screen size, you know, it's probably 10X the size oftentimes of what you're playing with. So all the elements and the design components that you had to build to make sense for users on an app now can translate over into an extension into the web, but you can do much more. You can highlight, you can make the animations better and more dynamic. So I think we're, we're kind of able to jumpstart that a little bit. So I'm not sure if it means like from a, a development perspective, we go any faster, but it just means it feels like we suddenly have a bigger playground to work with. I think there, that's a oh, go for it, Kevin. No, I was just going to say um, that um, the I like that simplicity of the mobile app. It forces you to think simplistic, but you are right. Like those different environments have different functionality. Like it's not a tiny screen where you're touching things, right? So it doesn't make sense to have the button sizes be consistent between platforms. I mean, um, I'm sure Cole has an opinion on that, but I, I think it, I like that, that it forces you to think as the most simplistic platform being the mobile device. I, I think, um, I don't, we browser extension might go into that realm as well, but, um, it's nice too, that we started there and then we're kind of applying that to these more complex 
um, or not more complex, but more, uh, you know, um, ability to do things with the saber kind of platforms. But I think you're completely right there. One of the things that I was going to say is, you know, if I were thinking about, well, what's a bad example of an omni-channel experience? And I was actually going to say a whole bunch of bank apps and bank websites are bloody terrible. There are things where you might be standing in the counter lane going, hey, how can I do this? You pull out the mobile app, you realize that functionality doesn't exist there. So you end up doing mobile web that you convert to the desktop experience. Like those are the ones, um, you know, where it's good. Jake says, except for Chase, Chase is legit. I, I do agree. I check Chase business account and that's, that one's pretty good. Wells Fargo is pretty terrible, honestly. So is Bank, for, Bank of America, awful. Yep. But those, I mean, that's an example of where... We'll touch know, on that in our sponsor section. Yeah, I was going to say, okay, what do, you, what, do you, what do you not like about a, a Bank of Bank America's app and their experience? I mean, it's just a lot of little things. It's like they haven't taken into account... I mean, it's more a critique of the mobile experience more than the omni-channel nature of the experience. But it's stuff like buttons aren't big enough to tap and when they are big enough they are under i don't know what the um, on an iphone on a, on a newer iphone the home bar i don't know what what it's called um exactly but you can't tap a button because when you tap a button you like close the app it's it's just like an obvious it's pretty obvious they haven't really thought about all the different environments in which a user uses the app um and then, I mean, then, then it's just a data piece where I have like, I have one Bank of America account, but it shows up two or three times as separate accounts. So if I'm like paying a bill and I'm like, I don't know which one I need to pay. Did I pay my bill? It says I didn't. Like, it's just, it's really, really janky and it inspires very little confidence in the overall bank, even though I know it's a good bank and it's fine and it's legit and it's a technical problem and it's not the bank's problem, but I like, if I have a choice, I will go to chase any day of the week. If I were to say anybody can think of any great omni-channel experiences that you've interacted with outside of our new Ibotta online grocery experience. Yeah. So both, I have a quick question for Jake and then I can answer that one. So I would say Dropbox actually did a really good omni-channel experience. Um, they sync really well across both for their onboarding and just being like, Hey, get this thing set up. But I wonder in the example that you gave, Jake, if this is actually a clear indication of where a business is prioritizing their time and how they started. The reason I ask that is, so I, I bank with USAA, which doesn't have physical locations. So their website and their mobile app are rock solid versus if you don't have that, and you're more focused on physical location. Do you prioritize and expect more people to be walking into a branch? So you don't worry as much about the right omnichannel experience? Yeah, 100%. 100% agree with that. And I think I remember reading somewhere on the internet, so take it for everything that it's worth, um, that Chase, as an example, prioritized their, their technical experience, their online experience and their mobile experience because they made a strategic bet that that's how they were going to get millennials. Right, you see Capital One going with the Capital One Cafe. You go, you see Chase doing what they're doing with really, really slick technical experiences on the web and on mobile. Um, and those are, I mean, I've never been to a Capital One Cafe, but it seems kind of nice. But for Chase to invest in 
it just shows it shows where they put their priorities and they put their priorities in their in their mobile app in their website experience right really don't ever have to go into a chase branch really don't yeah well it seems like they're putting their prioritization around their user experience right like that's absolutely today um that that like I, I think one of the good examples for me was as SoundCloud. I really like their interface and, and what they've done with the two um, locations. I think that that's a, a really nice omni-channel experience. Um, I'm also, I mean, you know, in person, in store is a channel, right? Yeah, like that is how, that. yeah. Like how do you, what are, I wonder what are good examples of good in store experiences, but then oh. does not translate to um, the rest of, you know, meeting them where they are kind of thing. I was I was gonna say my favorite one for an omni-channel to web experience I think is REI. I think the way their stores are laid out and the way that you can easily find things on their website. I haven't I don't know if they have a mobile app and I haven't played with it, but it's pretty know. good. Oh, well then there you go, REI <laughs> for the win. I'm gonna have to go with Spotify. I mean, to be able to listen mm-hmm. to your desktop and then just pick it up on your phone. Be able to push the view, to push the song from one to the other is is pretty slick. Plus, yeah. their design language is just dope. So yeah, you know but what's yeah. also good about Spotify is they were smart and they added in instead of having to then connect Spotify to Sonos and to all the other equipment, they added the ability to add that cast and AirPlay right into their native app, kind of short circuiting all the rest of those broken experiences, which I thought was brilliant. Yeah. Yeah. The uh, the one example I have of a good in store experience in a in a crappy online or mobile experience is IKEA. Oh, and totally. That is terrible. <laughs> yeah, they're still having like PDFs as their as their website, like browsing through pages of a PDF. They, they nice. Do such a good job. They do such a good job as an in store experience, and they just kill it. You know, or they they you know are terrible at this mobile app and mobile web experience. And that's, that's an area like if they, they could really crush that space. If they, you know that that interesting things with like their AR, right? So you can look at it the way in your living room, they spend a ton of time on that. Right. But uh, if you're looking at the full customer experience, they're not going to be using that much. They'll be using the app. Exactly. It's a nice uh, tiny feature. (laughs) What do you guys think of Starbucks? I think Starbucks does it really well. I love their mobile app. I think they they just were strides ahead of anyone in that space, in, in my opinion. Um, I haven't used anything on the web for them. I don't know if they yeah, have that's a good point. experience. But it's maybe nothing that we're prior, or they're prioritizing or the customers are even yeah. trying. Um, I think I, what's... So- they did shut down their stores, right? They've announced that they yeah. shut down a bunch of stores and going to prioritize delivery and carry out. And I think that's a, a crazy smart move. So I think this actually leads into a final question that I have since we're coming up on time. Do we always need an omni-channel experience? Um, and that's a, that's a really interesting question because you brought up the, the concept of Ikea. And one of the things I think about Ikea's business model is that them putting you into that trap of the store where they make you walk through everything probably increases AOV just so directly. And it probably reduces the nature of, because for, for years they actually didn't even sell anything online. You had to go to it right. in store. Like if you didn't have an Ikea near you, like you couldn't get it. Um, so maybe they're an example of a place where, 
hey, you know what? We don't need it. And we're going to do scarcity by limiting the number of IKEAs you have and then trying to increase AOV once you're in the store. Yeah, that, that's interesting. I would, but you kind of looked at the overall trend of shopping and where that happens. It, it happens omni-channel. And mm-hmm. if you're not there and providing an experience, I think you're missing out. I, I do like that. I, I, I like that idea um, of creating scarcity and, and the demand for your product. Um, I think, you know, someone like In-N-Out Burgers does that really well, right? Like they're pretty scarce and then everyone wants to be close to one. And that actually drives up the retail value of houses. Um, if there's a In-N-Out Burger what? in the place. Yeah, it does. Are you serious? Also yeah. like a, <laughs> here, in, here, in, here in Colorado, what, Melanzana is that other brand? The they're the like, you know, really chic, like skier clothing. And they only have like one store. It's in Leadville. But like, oh, really? They're sold out constantly. Yeah. But yeah, so the difference, right? Like from, and I don't know about Melanzano, I'm, I'm, I'm new to that brand, but for In N Out, right? Like that is an in person thing. I mean, you're eating food. You can't, I guess you can have something shipped or, you know, but it's probably not <laughs> the right experience for IKEA. Like it's, pretty commonplace for shipping furniture and all this stuff. So yeah, I don't, don't want to get their lunch eaten by Wayfair. <laughs> um, I, I think for me, like what I'm hearing from this is that an omni channel is good when the various channels complement each other. Like if you start trying to replicate one channel on another, it doesn't work because why? Because the reason why a, a channel exists is because, or an experience as solid as one channel has a lot to do with the unique nature of that particular channel and the context in which people engage with it. But if you try to just recreate the thing on, on a mobile device, then it's probably going to fail and no one's going to use it. That's a, that's a great point to end on. I, I love that. Any other thoughts to that one from Cole or Luke? Yeah. Don't, don't just call yourself omni-channel actually, actually deliver to Jake's point for sure. I like that. Well, um, it looks like we've finished our coffee. So uh, thanks for joining us on Product Coffee. Rate, subscribe, all that fun stuff. And uh, go level up. Hello.